I love supporting district managers because I was a district manager and I saw what it did for myself. That opportunity exaggerates your maturity. It exaggerates your learning curve to where just within a couple of months of running an office as a district manager, you really understand what it takes to be successful. If done right and when done right at its highest level, it's just a concentrated dose of life. But when you're going through this opportunity and your name is on the line, your personal growth to your business skills, your intelligence, everything is elevated. John Fiaco was a Hall of Fame district manager in Cutco Vector who has evolved into a national role supporting managers all across the company. He's one of the company's foremost experts on recruiting, training, and leadership. He has a strong conviction in the district manager opportunity and in what vector marketing leaders do for the people under their guidance. Early in his life, John learned to show up and get stuff done. He brought that approach to his district manager career, and he continues to bring it to the amazing work he does in support of so many others to this day. I'm excited to be able to share his experiences and insights with you today. This is John Fiaco. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I have a very special guest today who has a unique role in the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. His name is John Fiaco. John has been with the company since 2004. He was a district manager from 2006 to 2016, achieved over $13 million in Cutco sales during that stretch, which has qualified John for the Cutco Vector Hall of Fame. Ultimately, he morphed into a very unique role working closely with John Kane. And uh, John Fiaco is our National Training and Recruiting Programs Manager. And very simply, what that means is John shows up and gets stuff done. On the note of showing up, John has personally visited well over 300 Cutco Vector managers in the field to help them work on their craft. He is considered to be one of the foremost experts in the areas of recruiting and training that the company has. And we've got a lot of great insights to share with you today, particularly from John's district manager journey and all the great work that he does supporting district managers today. John Fiaco, welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you, Dan. Very nice intro. I appreciate that. Yes. Well, I'm looking forward to sharing your stories and your lessons with the uh, Cutco Vector audience here today, man. Why don't you uh, start by having people get to know you a little bit? Let's hear a little bit about your personal background. Yeah, I was brought up in a very small farming community in upstate New York. And uh, just to clarify, upstate New York isn't above New York City. It's about six hours above New York City. We were about 10 minutes from the Canadian border and about an hour south of Montreal. So 50 kids in my grade. We had a stoplight that was about 10 miles from my home. And there was a you know Pizza Hut and, and uh, McDonald's about 15 miles away. So we didn't really have the huge vastness of what we do in South Jersey now, right? There wasn't a lot of things that were accessible. Love sports. We had soccer, basketball, and baseball in high school. Played all three sports. And, uh, you know, football on the side, attempted golf. I still attempt golf to this day. Um, when I was younger, my parents split. I was about fifth grade and, uh, not really understanding what was going on at that time. I ended up living with my dad for the rest of high school. And my mom was about a mile and a half, two miles away. So I got to see them both. And, uh, you know, dad was a pretty strict, strict character. He is a superintendent. Uh, he's a PhD of education, very intelligent. And he, he ran a tight ship. And uh, being in a small community, although it wasn't political, it's as if it was a political type of a figure, you know, running a district and uh, the board of education, taxes, I mean, the whole, the whole nine yards. What I really learned from my dad would be the routine, work ethic. He, he just got up and showed up every day. And sometimes it wasn't easy. When he showed up, he didn't just show up to work. He showed up to work. And I mean, in a sense, like some people just kind of show up at work and, hey, I'm here today. You know, isn't that enough? But he showed up to work and, you know, suit and tie every day. So learning from him at a very young age, discipline, integrity, you do the job. And he was never about publicity. He was never about trying to be the top of the food chain. His whole premise was supporting students, making sure they get a very positive education. And I share this with you, Dan, and whoever's listening is that the personal background started very young of, you do the right thing and you show up even when no one's looking. I mean, he wore a suit and tie even in the summertime to school and he ran a tight ship. My mother, on the other hand, although similar in some capacity, compassionate, empathy, resilience, she just has a strength unlike, unlike my dad, but they're both very strong. So, you know, growing up in that small community, graduating and moving on, it was great to have that hometown feel. And I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get out of the small farming community. And I, it's funny because now I kind of long for that quietness and, the, and, to, and to go back to something like that in the future. Went on to SUNY Cortland, which is a state university outside of Syracuse, New York. Played basketball my freshman year. Was able to do a bunch of different sports, make a couple of cool new friends. And I studied health science. And I graduated in 2004. And that's when I went into my summer with Cutco. But prior to that, that was more of the background. Got it. Got it. How did you hear about Cutco? The newspaper. Yeah. I graduated on, on May 17th and dad says, congratulations, you have two weeks to find a job. Or no, you have two weeks and then please go find a job. So <laughs> hung out for a couple of weeks. But then, I mean, growing up, I farmed, you know, $5 an hour under the table. I rode my bike to the farming, uh, to the farmer and my basketball coached, basketball refereed. So I didn't really have that formal type of job search. So making a resume for the first time and went through the newspaper. Uh, at this point, my dad relocated to Binghamton, New York, which is a bigger area. 
And there was a mall, you know, there was, uh, there was clothing stores and I applied to 15 different places, not one phone call back. And in fact, the only person that called me back was Gina, who was my original receptionist in vector marketing. And she says, we have an interview for you tomorrow. Can you make it? And, uh, absolutely. I said, and then, yeah, <laughs> came in, got the interview, got the position. And that was June 4th, June 4th, June 5th training, 2004. Nice. Well, tell us about some of the experiences from your early part of your career. Being a sales rep in a new area, it was uncommon. I didn't have my own vehicle and I just moved there after college. So May May 17th, moved to Binghamton and I had a few family members. I think my Mac customer list was three people. I had my 85-year-old grandmother at the time and I had one next door neighbor. So I had about five people on my list in the beginning of it. And I just, the way it was explained to me and the way my manager, Jabari Holder, originally explained the position through referral, I just really bought in from the beginning of it. I'm not going to lie. I kind of geeked out when I saw the knives and I saw the penny being cut in half like that. I was able to see it right off the bat. And then researching the company had great accolades. So my fast start was five appointments. I sold a couple of homemaker sets. I had a couple of no sales and I got like 15 recommendations And it was cool because after the interview pre-training, my father was like, are you sure you're going to be able to do something like this? It's going to be very challenging. And for me, through the upbringing, it it didn't really seem challenging because there was a system produced. And uh, throughout my first summertime, I think I sold like $10,000. I know people do that in their first 10 days. But I got to tell you, that $10,000 really sparked something inside of me that says I can do that without a vehicle, without riding my bicycle to appointments, my dad dropping me off and just kind of learn young on how, like, how to really work hard at it. So then at the end of that summertime, I was promoted to an assistant manager. I brought my, fa- my first brand new car with my Cutco savings. It was a, a, a Plymouth Acclaim with three hubcaps from a lady from church. <laughs> and that was my new ride. And I just felt unstoppable because I saw from the beginning of summertime, nothing, not even a phone call, then do a phone call. And then next thing you know, I've got a car and it's like, it was all fueled by this, by this Cutco experience. That was my first summer then going into assistant manager. Outstanding. And so you went on to be an assistant manager for about a year or so? Yes. Why yeah, did my manager get- moved from Binghamton and he moved to Buffalo. And he asked me to move. He's like, hey, would you like to go with me to Buffalo to start an office? So after the summertime up and through the fall, uh, January 4th or 5th, 2005, I actually packed the Plymouth Acclaim with everything that I owned and drove out to Buffalo for about a year, assisted him. And then in the, in the spring of 2006, that's where I was promoted to district manager in, in South Buffalo. Okay. Why did you decide you wanted to be a DM? Honestly, at first, it probably wasn't the healthiest of reasons. It was more, I don't really have anything else to do. I'm super scared. Uh, I'm going to prove a few people wrong. They said, don't do it. So it was kind of like that edge of, I'm going to show them. And uh, looking back on it, I honestly didn't really understand the opportunity. I just saw a lot of work. I saw a lot of, uh, a few little payoffs. But then when I went to a region conference or I saw the newsletter, I saw all these people experiencing success. I saw just a territory over Rochester, Syracuse, which was a couple of hours from from Buffalo, and they were receiving bonus checks. They had a team. They had people around them. They seemed super happy. And that was one of those pivotal moments where it's like, before I do leave here, I really need to explore 
a way, another way of doing things. And uh, yeah, that was my first experience. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't this amazing, I'm going to go crush it. It was more like, I want to prove a couple of people wrong because I said I couldn't do it, but I also see other people achieving it on some high levels. And I'm just really curious. I want to see if I can get a taste of that. Yeah. Cool. So you were a district manager for 10 years. Uh, you had a lot of great success. You had a lot of amazing experiences and really learned a lot that has helped you in the, in the role that you play today, mm. uh, supporting district managers. What did you like most during the, the, the uh, DM days? What did I like most? Yeah. When, I, when I was a district for the first three months, it wasn't until August SC2 and I got that taste. Uh, we sold like $25,000 of new business. And I remember receiving this paycheck of like three or $4,000. And it took me about three months to get there. And, and that wasn't all in, I believe I'm going to be able to do this. It was more, let's give it a, let's give it a shot. And then it wasn't till about six months in, it was January program, 2006, going into 2007. And uh, we experienced uh, a snowstorm in Buffalo and it was a state of emergency. Power was out for five days. We just came from Banff, Canada with Matthew Kelly, if you remember that. And he lit me up. I'm like, there's another way of doing it. Come back to the snowstorm, state of emergency. And I said, I've got three months of expenses this January program, people talk about it, can change your life. But I remember just hustling, right? And on Christmas day, I drove back to the office and I said to myself, this could be the last day I'm a district. I genuinely at that point gave it all out. You know, like I, I could say that I left this position with everything I needed to do. I worked super hard, my team, four or five people around me. And then December 26, we had training at noon and uh, four people were there at 11.45. I'm like, all right, well, at least going to do training for, for four. And at 11, uh, excuse me, at, uh, at 12, 10 PM, uh, 51 people were in my office. I had no idea how to feel, let alone what to do. And my assistants are, we had like 20 chairs set up and then we had another 10, another 10. And I didn't, I honestly didn't know what to do. There's people sitting in the hallway and in whether the results from that were amazing or not, which they ended up being really great. That moment was, you can do this like th this, there is no way that anyone can ever tell you, you can't do this. And we hadn't even produced a sale yet, but just having 51 people in front of you is like, we were made for this. And that's what I liked most at the beginning, because this wasn't an overnight success where you walk in your training and in three weeks in May, you've got 50 people. This took a couple of six months to get there. And, and I'm not saying it has to take that long for everyone or sometimes longer, but I love that so much because it was, it was, we created that a teacher didn't assist me in that process and coach and other teammates or my other manager. This was like, everyone's looking at you to run the ship. And on the inside, you're like, this should work. I think on the outside, you're saying this is going to work. And what I loved about it was that you can create something from nothing with a lot of hard work, but with a strategy and a team around you. And 51 people later, I was like, I'm all in. I was, I was addicted at that point. You were, you were getting me out at that point. Yeah. It's amazing, John, to hear the difference that one moment, one experience, one training class can make in a person's career. And also to hear that you, a Hall of Famer who had all this great success, had challenges and struggles in those early days and wavered in terms of whether you were going to stay with the company. I have often, John, told a story in the Western region of 
something that happened in the early part of my career that really resonates with what you just said. And I don't think I've told this very much outside the Western region, but when I was a new DM, I had been a Silver Cup branch manager. I'd done $300,000 as a branch. Wow. I just thought we'll do at least 400 as a DM now, right? I'm a right. DM. I'm going to do more for sure. And I promptly did about 170000 in my first DM summer, which was less than half of what was expected. And then I did 50000 in the fall. And then we were really struggling in the spring. And we sold $5,720 for the month of March in my first spring. And it was early April. I was running a training class. The training class was full of what we would today call passive recruits. Mm. It wasn't the greatest group. I felt mentally defeated. And I thought to myself, what have I done to make next week's training class any different? And the answer was nothing. I had done nothing to make my next training class any different. Mm. And I was headed for another probably bad training class. And I might've been out of the business not long after this, but I decided I was going to take control of my business and be proactive about my recruiting. And so we planned this flyering blitz at two of our big schools that we have back then, right? We would do a lot of flyering at the schools. And um, I still remember we put out 17,000 flyers in, in uh, two days at these couple of schools. Mm. And the following Tuesday, when we were hit, you know, having interviews, we accepted 50 people on the day on a random Tuesday in April in two interviews. And that week I had 16 people in training. So I didn't have the greatest show, but I had 16 college students mm. in training and we had great success from then on. And I never looked back. And it was one training class that mattered. You know, I think you and I both have a story there that district managers can take to heart to realize how quickly they can move the needle in their business mm -hmm. with the right effort, the right intensity, the right belief, right? And the right actions to back that up. That the, the right actions. I think sometimes it's like the pride of, I work so long of hours. I work 25 hours a day, eight days a week. And it's like, well, if you're not doing the right actions, you know, you don't necessarily need to work that long, but it brings me to one of the things that you just said that, that we've both experienced. And I can assume many, many other people have that what I liked most about the DM opportunity is the struggle. And where I'm younger, I'm trying to avoid struggle. Everything about our bodies, right? Our DNA avoids struggle. Like once you start to get hot, it's like your body's like, sit down, you need to chill out, <laughs> find shade. But looking back and, and, and what do I like most about it is that, is that struggle. Like I didn't have an answer at that time. I didn't know. You didn't know. A lot of our managers don't know exactly what the outcome is going to be, if positive or not. But it's that struggle that I really believe made us work even stronger. And I know it's kind of cliche to say we grow through our struggles. But when you can look back saying on the way to work at, uh, at 9 a.m. on Christmas, uh, Christmas Day post 1, uh, 26th, I'm going to be leaving here if nothing happens. Then within the course of four hours, it's like, well, how long can I sign my lease for? But that struggle is really what makes you appreciate what you have in front of you. And that's what I love about this opportunity because it was mine. It was, it was like the district manager, my name was on the title and our team around us really built it up. And then now looking for the struggle to embrace the struggle rather than to run away from struggles. Yeah. 
Exactly. And on the other side of all those struggles, both for you and for any successful person in, in uh, our company or anywhere else, on the other side of those struggles are so many great successes and amazing experiences. And, right. Yeah. You can't teach that. You, you can't teach experience. You can't teach the struggle. You can influence it to get them into it. But once they take off, it's like, all right, go, have fun. You know, it's find the fun in it. And that's, it's hard to teach that because you, you can't really manufacture unless you're going through it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear some of the stories from your district manager days, John. So uh, why don't we start with uh, what do you think was the most fun experience? So that's a tough one. It's kind of like, what's your favorite movie? Am I in a Shawshank Redemption day or am I in a Wedding Crashers type of a mood? You know, so what are some of my favorite DM days or stories? Sometimes it would be a kickball in our parking lot after team night out or after the team meeting during team night out and just the rallying the group around it, our chance. And then it goes on to the travel within our business. I never really knew what it was like to be a part of, of a culture of people when we're traveling. And then I was able to bring, I'm a, a ball fanatic. So everywhere I go, I've got either a tennis ball or a football and I love to play football, throw things and have fun. Dallas Cowboys stadium. When we had SLC there, we were just heaving balls and kicking field goals. Bruce Goodman lined up at one point and I gave him the head nod and he takes off. He was probably 40 yards down the, 40 yards down the field. And I, I threw it, I lit it up and he jumped up like Megatron from the lions and grabbed it. And I remember walking up with this huge smile. Like at that point, he wasn't a CEO at that point. I wasn't a two year, you know, rookie on the team. I was a quarterback thrown to a receiver. And we talk about that to this day. And that's just those fun little itty bitty moments that are like, that was fun. Like what else are we going to do? So there's a couple of few things and just having some friends meeting up, working hard, celebrating, and then going out and doing it in different countries. So where it wasn't one specific fun thing, that's kind of like, that was the mood I was in today to share those types of stories. Yeah. I remember that SLC where we had Cowboy Stadium for a like a dinner event and half the field was our dinner tables to eat at. And the other half yeah. of the field was for us to, to, uh, play and kick field goals. And I mean, we had a little Western DVM versus Eastern DVM football game out there. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun for sure. That was cool. How about John, you know, in, in, uh, thinking about the idea of the struggle, what do you feel was your most challenging experience? The first Buffalo one with the state of emergency, that was really tough because I didn't know it was real. I didn't know I could actually do it. I haven't experienced any real results. And at that point, I was almost kind of ignorant to the struggle because I'd never been through even a full year, let alone a full couple of campaigns. That was the most first, the first of the most challenging experiences because I didn't have anything to base it off of. That also kind of gave me some oomph because I didn't have anything to go off. It wasn't like, oh, here we go again. Personal confidence is is the most challenging of experiences. And it shows up when you don't want it to. And when I was able to see myself doing the right things, we really rallied. And for a few years in Syracuse, we achieved court of honor. And then Chris Hammond, my division manager at the time, said, well, no one's ever hit Hall of Fame as a district manager. 
And that lit me up. I, I guess I go after the what no one's ever done before. Like, I didn't really want to move from Syracuse to explore division manager at that time. But when Chris said no one's ever hit that, we lit it. For three years, we had our best week by week by month by month, three years in a row. The, the biggest challenge was in July when I hit Hall of Fame. I had no idea what to do next. And I watched my stats for three years decrease month by month, campaign by campaign. And it was so humbling. The challenge was I made Hall of Fame the ceiling and I didn't make it a floor. I didn't make it a notch. I made it the thing. And we did our best, literally followed by the worst. And that really shook me. I didn't know what to do because the identity leading up to that was we're going for Hall of Fame. I just didn't have the plan of, well, what do you do after you hit Hall of Fame? I guess I never really knew if I was going to hit it or what to do after it. And that, Dan, for the next couple, two to three years was very humbling. It was, you kind of just watched the office fall through your fingertips like a sand, like a sand castle. Yeah. John, what advice do you give now to a manager who says, you know, I just hit my big goal. I don't know what's next. So uh, talking with a, a good buddy, Wes Frank, this is a very pivotal conversation. And by the way, if I don't say somebody's name here today, so many people have helped me out. But I remember driving to Olean and Wes was like, I've made this mistake before. It was you make your, you make your goals the ceiling rather than the floor. And if I were to tell anybody that a perk right? An incentive, an award, a trip, a bonus. It's kind of like, instead of making that the hub of your wheel, or instead of making that the palm of your hand, you make it an extension of, of the thing. And the thing is we work to support people. We interview and we train, we recruit to develop people. We don't do this to win awards. And I, I flip-flop the two. So making your life about an achievement through an award, flip-flop it and make our lives about in support of people and offering an opportunity of what it was given to you. And if you hit those awards, fantastic. But if we're not focusing on the work of supporting and developing people, uh, no award, no trip, no incentive is ever going to fill that. So can we make it about the process of people and building them up rather than an award? Because if you do the first, you will get the second. That's a, a very great, powerful insight right there that uh, it, it's so much more important to have that servant leadership mindset focusing on the people that are coming into our team, right? The rep that came into your office the day after you crossed the $10 million threshold didn't care about the $10 million that you had hit. They didn't were there. <laughs> they didn't would, even know about it. <laughs> yeah, they, they were there to get the best experience they could get and to work with the greatest leader they could they could find, right? And that's what they wanted from you and expected from you. And that's what you expected from yourself, right? To be able yeah. to bring that to your people. And I think that's such a great concept for anybody to think about and, and take to heart, right? Is what are you providing for the people on your team? It's humble. Even thinking about now, it's humbling, you know, <laughs> how, how great it was to a rep wants to walk in that day one after they went after Hall of Fame. They're just looking for some experience and some pay. like their their reasons for coming in pre Hall of Fame aren't any different from post Hall of Fame. But boy, was I different! And that's when the master and the commander of the ship is lost. Everyone underneath them is lost, and I just didn't know how to handle it. You know, we went from such a high to 
oh my goodness, like the GPS just turned off. Where do we go now? And that's, <laughs> that's not a recipe for success that the, uh, the quote unquote leader should have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a powerful experience to share. How about John, the most rewarding experience of your district manager days? Does something stand out when I ask you about that? The relationships of the people who I have now, and a, a lot of the times it was an award or a trip, but if I'd say the most rewarding experience would be my relationships. My best friend, Justin Nevis, I met as a brand new district manager. We were best men in each other's wedding. My wife, I met through the company business, totally indirect. I was able to bring my mom on the Caribbean cruise back in 2007. And that was my first national event. And I brought her as my, I mean, she supported me from day one. My dad wasn't as supportive, <laughs> but because he didn't really know what it was, but mom had a knife and she's like, oh, you know, mom would support you if you, if you were selling rocks, like she would be there. So she was able to go first. My brother went to Buenos Aires and then I brought my dad to Italy. It took him about eight years to earn a trip with me, but he, he made it. My dad and I took a 30-minute train ride to Frosinone, and that's where he was from. And we actually met family from our family tree that he hunted down, and we met them. And there was basic English. They knew we were coming in, and my dad just shed a few tears that day, being in the hometown of his father. And that was one of the most rewarding experiences because not this isn't coming from an egotistical place, but like, I was able to do that for my father where the company was able to do it for me. And it was just a, it was almost like a huge team win. And to this day, my dad talks about it with this, just this, I don't even know how to describe it other than just genuine happiness. And those are just some of the most rewarding things from the family aspect from the position is being able to support myself financially and not having to rely on people. But the level from that, which you've probably experienced for decades is being able to support other people when in need. Like you were able to loan, to lend, to support. And uh, that's huge. Uh, taking care of yourself or being able to take care of others, that's a huge reward. And then the last one is having people hit their, you know, offering them a position and how genuinely happy they are. That's always a reward to having three inductees to the Hall of Fame. Three sales reps I've been able to help and influence and support along the way. Three of them have hit Hall of Fame and I got to tell you, from even offering the position to brand new to them hitting Hall of Fame, it just it just has that like they're excited about it, and uh, those are just those are the rewards. Those are the three that I chose to share. Yeah, wow. Who are those three sales rep Hall of Famers? Miles Tucker. He he was already a summer and a half in before I we met, but he was like twenty five thousand hours in sales, and Miles Tucker just he helped me out in more ways as a district because we were kind of parallel and he took off the CGC or CSP to CGC route, but he really helped me along the way. Jenna Van Skoik, who was a very challenging, but very, very fun rep to work with, you know, didn't even want to, she wanted to leave her interview because she was late to it. I had to convince her just to stay to the interview because well, you're already here. Why not? And million dollars later, uh, Liz DeFlorio million dollars. Liz was, invited back to day two, she was a day and an hour late. So not just a day, like an hour late to training out of three days, she came on day two and she also came an hour late. And I said, <laughs> you might, I was like, you might as well just go home. Like <laughs> we already have, we were, and she's like, I'm staying. Like I took, and she just had that resilience and she just, I'm writing her hall of fame letter uh, this afternoon. She gets awarded it in April at the Midwest region. Amazing. That's so cool. And what, what part of Italy is the town that uh, your dad was from? It's called Frosinone. 
Frosinone. Like it depends on the the. If you go from Rome, it's kind of inland. You go southeast. It was literally on the stop. We got right off of the train station, and it was what a day. But that that goes down in history of one of my dads. Like that was my best trip I ever took, and it was just it's just cool to hear him say that. You know, outstanding, outstanding, John. Well, you know, now you've got the hindsight of this, you know, amazing 10-year experience and then all of the great work you've done working with district managers over the past few years. What do you wish you knew when you were a DM that you know now? We'd have to have a few podcasts to <laughs> to, to go through all that. Thinking of that, a scarcity versus abundance mindset. And I was able to learn this multiple years from multiple people. I would have started off what would I love rather than what I don't like, what there isn't enough of, what would I love and, and craft, dream, create, write down, what would I love? That'd be the first thing of actually in, in imagining where you'd like to go from an abundance standpoint uh, rather than, oh my goodness, this is my territory. This is where I'm from. This is what's happened here before. And you kind of set yourself in before you've even started. So right off the gates, what would I love mentality? Um, I remind myself, this is a journey. This is a race. This is a hike. This is not a destination. And that's such a cliche thing that you hear growing up, but it's a cliche for a reason. So I'd say, hey, this is a hike, John. This is a continuous journey. This is not an assignment to complete. This is an exercise to continuously go through. It's a process. And in, now in this process, there is walking. In this process, there is sprinting. And in this process, there's some jogging. It's all mixed in, but it's not a campaign to campaign, week to week, year to year. It's the flow of it. And if I could have said, there is a flow to this, like a basketball game, like anything else in life, there is a flow. And just because that flow gets hard doesn't mean that it's always going to be like that. And when you're walking doesn't mean that you need to go someplace else because you're bored. It's that's just the flow of it. So I'd let myself know, have some grace, man. And, and, and what that really means is that allow yourself some time to learn. It is 100% okay to fail. That doesn't mean that you're a failure. So I had a hard relationship with failing. I thought that I was a failure if I failed. And it was really tough because if I, my identity was tied up in failing. So if I could say, just take this time to learn. Like if you didn't fail, that would be weird more than if you failed all the time. Like it, that's the whole purpose of learning and growing up. I, I just didn't have the relationship or maturity to understand that. Yeah. I love the, I love the hike analogy, John, that uh, it's like a hike, right? You're going to have some times where you're running. You're going to have some times where you're walking. You're going to have some times where you're resting, you're going to have some uphills, some downhills, mm -hmm. probably a few sprained ankles <laughs> right. along the way. I like to take my kids hiking and I and I try as often as I can to design the hike with all the uphill on the on the outbound and all the downhill on the inbound. Right. Yeah, yeah. right. So that there's less complaining. But we can't design it that way in life. And we can't really design it that way in vector. You never know where the uphills are going to be in the steep portions and the, you know, right. the difficult times. Sometimes they, uh, they show up at unexpected times. Sometimes the job is easier when somebody's new and other times it's harder right. when they're new and you never really know. Right. But just that idea that it's a part of a hike, every hike has those elements to it. 
And right. And yet we typically enjoy the experience overall of going through that, you know, those types of things. So it's pretty cool. And nobody ever likes the movie where the superhero is perfect and they never make mistakes and they're, they just, they're not susceptible. You know, you like Superman because the Krypton and his weaknesses and, and you like the story that when people have to struggle to get someplace, yet sometimes I confuse like, why am I struggling? It's like, well, that that's the whole, like, that's just, it is what it is. Water's wet, the sky's blue, you're going to struggle. Water's wet, sky's blue, but this is what you do. And, and we said that in Syracuse, it was, it was kind of started off as a little fun, uh, a little fun, quirky thing, but then it, our team really rallied around it that if you're going to do this right, you're all in. And whether you're here for a week during Christmas break or you are here for the next 25 years and you don't know that, when you're here, be here. And when you put things into action, you go on that hike. If you didn't get tired and if you didn't sprain your ankle or if you didn't fall, would you want to tell people about that hike? You want to tell people about the hike that when you almost didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. Rather, oh, I did a hike. It was perfect. I did it in 15 minutes. It's kind of like, where's the climax to that? You know, versus I, I slipped and there was like this branch I had to hang on to. And, I almost quit, but I, I I had to see the top of it. And that's the stories that we're attracted to. Just sometimes I forget. And I think others forget that that's what makes it a great story is the the thought of almost failing and then the, the struggle between it. Yeah. I love that. Great stuff. Great stuff, John. Congratulations on, you know, such a great run as a district manager during those 10 years. So since that time, you through a chain of events, ended up in South Jersey near Philadelphia area. And it gave you the opportunity to connect with John Kane and get into this role where you are working uh, in a national role, supporting primarily our district managers all across the country and helping to develop our recruiting and training programs. Mm. What makes you so passionate about supporting district managers? What the opportunity for district manager made available for me was sustainability as as a human, let alone a manager as a human. I was able to take the money, uh, the experience, and the confidence that this company had offered me. Not that other companies can't offer you those things. I just know that this company did. And I want to others to feel that. As a district manager, you can create sustainability and you can have that as a foundation that you can be your own person. You can rely not just on yourself because you have a team of people, but you can rely on yourself. You're not told when to take vacations. You're not told when to come into work. It's a big responsibility, but that opportunity, I mean, it exaggerates your maturity and exaggerate your learning curve to where just within a couple of months of running an office as a district manager, you, you really understand what it takes to be successful. I love supporting district managers because I was a district manager and I saw what it did for myself. I, I don't know if it's selfish. I want other people to have that. <laughs> so selfishly into the support role, you know, and, and being able to connect with people and having others be, move beyond numbers and move beyond bonuses and just focusing on connection with people. You know, people are pretty complex. They're also very simple. And having a district manager being able to influence dozens to hundreds of people through a simple connection, through an interview, through a PC, through a PDI phone call, through a team meeting, that's special. 
And I was able to personally experience that. That's why I never went into other fields with my health field or pharmaceuticals. John, you'd be great at selling houses or you'd be great at selling pharmaceuticals. And it's like, maybe, but I know I've sold this and I bought it. You know, like I'm, I'm sold and I'm all in. And as long as they'll have me, this is where I'm at. That's, and I'm just wanting people to even get an ounce of that, just that feeling to be alive, to be self-sustainable, right? That's uh, whether it's for a year or for 25 years. Yeah, great. That's awesome. Well, you've done so many of these field visits, right? At least 300 different people you visited. You've mentioned yeah. several of them multiple times. It's probably been over 500 actual visits to the field. What are some of your top observations? from those field visits that you could share? Doing a lot virtually, right? And then also doing some in person. Yeah, there's there's a lot there. And it's it comes down to really the same exact ingredients. And I've touched on it, but I'll say it again. The people who are most connected outside of themselves, right? To whether it be other district managers or their divisional manager, like they have a source of somebody other than themselves for questions and answers. Their morale is typically way higher. So whether their results follow, their morale is high. And those who are the most successful have a really good team orientation. They're not afraid to ask questions. They put things into play. They're flexible with what comes in. The managers who can communicate, hey, I don't like this. This is kind of this, that, and the other. But when they can get that off, their morale stays high. And they have good communication, healthy communication from above. Part two, or whether that's even three, depending on how you want to look at that, it's their schedule. I think that when there's too much time, you know, idled hands accompany the thoughts of the devil and uh, or accompany the works of the devil. When there's just too much time in a day and a person doesn't have a routine or they're asking themselves what I should be doing right now, that's where that's where I see a lot of people get into, into trouble. They don't know what I should be doing. And the heck of it is there's so much to do. So if they have that schedule or that routine accompanied by foundational activities, walk me through what PDI is. Oh, just build a relationship with my people and, and get to know them and like make sure they're good. That is overwhelmingly a response that I get from districts. And the heck of it is I did that for many years. The concept of PDI, right, is to develop a relationship. The purpose of PDI is to drive demonstrations. You don't only drive demonstrations during PDI, but you use the rapport and the relationship to drive demonstrations so they call you back with more questions and situations that they need to get help on. And that's the cycle. So it's like if you get off the phone with somebody and you haven't helped them drive a demonstration, they're not going to continue to call you back because they don't have any demos to have questions on. But it's not just demo creation. It's, it's the flow. It's the cycle of, of that. And I think the ones who get the basics, who have healthy communication, who knows what it's like to make a PR call, who knows the purpose of an interview and a train, you know, PCs, they're not personal consultations. It's personal connection time, right? And then at the end of that, it's, I got my schedule. I've got demos and when they're needed, I know when I'm going to come back to the office yet. Those are the most successful. They may not have $10,000 fast order. They may not be on the silver cup race, but they're going to be here next year. You know, They're going to be here the year after that. And they're going to be the ones that are going to create a really great foundation. So they're the ones that take over someday. It's not that shot to the top the quickest I could. I don't really know what I did, but 
I, I create a lot of results. And the ones who are doing it the right way are taking their time, they're learning, they're growing, they're talking, they're connecting with people. And that's why people continue to come back to them is because the people feel heard, you know, they feel listened to. And I notice a lot of people that are successful are doing those things. Yeah, that was a great, great list of observations right there. Starting with the connection that people should have outside of their own sphere, right? With other peers, other successful managers throughout the company. Yeah. Tapping into that connection for support and guidance, the communication that managers have with their, their own manager and others that are there to support them and how critical that is. I was just thinking about just today, how important it is to be able to have differing points of view enter your awareness, right? Just through you know, who you're around, who you talk to and being open to differing points of view, right? Because there's, there's this tendency towards like homogeneity in, in our like colleges, for example, right? It's like, yeah, they, they breed like the same thinking. And if you disagree, like just don't even say anything because you're going to be ostracized or whatever. But just in, in terms of, you know, when, uh, what, what, this is what I thought about when, I, when you said healthy communication, right? Is that you're able to challenge someone else, you're able to be challenged yeah. by someone else and discuss what are the best ways, what's working, right? What makes sense for me in my situation? And, and that's part of how we evolve. Uh, the schedule that you described, right, to me is so critical, right? Like I always had every week mapped out, like literally minute by minute as each mm-hmm. day went along, I knew exactly what I was going to be, not only what I was going to be doing, but what all my assistant managers were going to be doing for a given week. And everybody was given that guidance, right? This is how you maximize the time that you're working. So you're not just there showing up, but you're there, you know, getting stuff done, right? That's part of your, that's the second part of your formula, John, right? Show up and get stuff done. And and get stuff done. (laughs) (laughs) The foundational activities that you described, the PDI, the PCs, and just how you view those, right? That was really powerful. Like just some great stuff right there for sure. Is there anything else that strikes you as being part of the formula for being a successful district manager? And, and that's the thing, Dan. There are so many things. I'm, I'm just going with what I feel. Like If you're a good person, and I, I think that the average person... In fact, I believe that everyone knows what it's like to be a good person. It's whether we act on that or not. And we can take a lot of shortcuts to create a lot of business with CPO and results. But like, are we doing what the job is at the highest level requiring of us? And it just starts off with the basic way of the questions you ask yourself, what you feed yourself, are you taking care of yourself? I skipped the gym so many years, you know, because I needed to work. And then I just, I just saw myself deteriorating. So when a manager says that they haven't worked out or they haven't left their house because they've been on the computer for so many times, that's not the opportunity at the highest level. It's taking care of yourself first so that you can take care of other people. And I didn't get that until years later through working with a John Kane, going through Tremboost leadership uh, trainings, it's taking care of yourself first. That's actually not selfish. That's responsible. So you can take care of other people. And uh, that's, you just show up a different way. You know, when you've taken care of yourself, you kind of show up like, let's go. The problems aren't problems. The problems are the positive situations of the day. But when you haven't been taken care of, you show up to the office, like everything makes you disoriented. You know, you start questioning people rather than asking them questions. 
I don't know about you, but I hate being questioned. I hate being interrogated. I love being asked questions. People love sharing from abundance rather than having to fend and justify through scarcity. And that's that depends on how I show up. If I show up unprepared, unhealthy, I'm questioning. I'm, I'm interrogating. If I show up abundant, it's kind of like, what would you love? And then people sprout and they're like, oh, I'd love to do this. And they share from abundance rather than have to like defend and justify through scarcity. Yeah. Excellent. Really uh, great insights, John. I appreciate all that very much. Sum up for us, John, why you feel like district manager is such a preeminent opportunity for the people in our company. If done right and when done right at its highest level, it's just a concentrated dose of life. I'm not saying you don't need school. I think like education and, and, and classroom education is important. But when you're going through this opportunity and your name is on the line and your personal growth to your business skills, your intelligence, everything is elevated. And even if you don't think it is because of the struggle, that sometimes is where you get elevated even more through your struggle. That knockdown is actually sometimes the, the time you grow the most. And it's hard because it's masked and you don't get knocked down in school. Again, I would always say follow your education and finish that through because the opportunity for management is going to be there. But when you can go through a management opportunity and put yourself on the line and work and develop a team, that's a concentrated dose of life. It's like, it's like positive and healthy steroids for your soul. You can lose yourself in the tasks and the responsibilities as anything, right? Even in a relationship with somebody else, you can lose yourself within it. But when you stay on the path and you show up the right way, you show up to support people, you find yourself at a whole new elevated way. You walk with your back cocked a little bit, like it's arched, you know, but it's not in an arrogance. It is in a way that water's wet, sky's blue. This is what I do. And I, I've taken what people have given me and I can offer you that opportunity and it's up to you to grab that, but I'm offering it. You know, I've got a I've got a yard sale and a garage sale from an abundant level. Like you're gonna want to come here and check this out. Whether you choose to go with it or not, that's up to you. But this is this is special. This is worth it. This is special. I love the uh phrase you said that everything is elevated, right? When somebody takes on the district manager opportunity, right? Everything in their life becomes elevated through that when it's done right. When it is done said. right, you yeah, got it. Exactly. I believe that with my soul. I'm not saying other jobs don't offer that, but I guarantee this job offers it. You know, well, what about other jobs? I don't know. <laughs> but I know this does. And that's why we that's why we're offering it. And that's totally cool if not. But like you said, I know everything is an absolute statement, but I'm putting my I'm putting my experience on the line by saying everything is elevated. Everything just seems better. Like you're not being told what to do. You are the one directing the ship. And it's it's powerful stuff. There is. John, this has been great. Like a lot of great stories from your career. Really amazing showcase of what the district manager opportunity can be in uh, Cutco Vector Marketing. Just to wrap this up, as you look into the future, what are you most excited about? Going along for the ride. And I'm not just humping on the back of the bus and hopping on and see what happens. I'm here and I'm moving spots along the way. Sometimes I might drive. Sometimes I might be in the back, but I'm on the bus and I'm going along with it. I'm accepting all the bumps and bruises. And I'm not saying I'm going to like everything, but I'm going to embrace it and go with it. And, and Dan, someone like yourself who has tremendous influence, 
this is the influence that I like to continue to give other people, like what you do or versions of it. Like, I love you. I know, you know, we're not closest in proximity, but you're a person who I greatly respect. That's what I'm excited about is continuing to do things for people, influencing people, but also being influenced to give and a take. My personal life and professional life, personal, diving deeper into marriage. We just got married in October. I thought I knew what it was. I have no idea, but I'm getting closer each, each day by day. <laughs> hey, children, a possibility if we're blessed in the future, a home, a second home, a cabin, like that's what I'm excited for because it's an unwritten unwritten book, but I got many pages to fill. And professionally, I believe in our leadership, our executive team, uh, my immediate manager and supervisor, John Kane. I believe in Mr. Stitt. I believe in our executives overall. And I'm looking forward to the future. Like I said, unwritten, but I've got a lot of pages to fill. Excellent. Well, you've got a great heart for our vector business. You are having a profound impact on a lot of people. And it's clear that uh, you're doing great work, John. So thanks so much for what you do in the company. And thank you so much for all the great insights you've shared here today. This has been awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it very, very much. That was John Fiacco, everybody. Love that he learned from his dad early on in life, the concept of showing up, not just showing up to work, but showing up to work. And what happens when you bring that mindset to anything in your life, the mindset of putting in your best effort, what he liked most about his DM role, the struggle, the struggle was what he liked most that on the other side of that struggle, there are always great joys and great rewards. And he likened it to the hike. And he said, I just had to see the top, right? When you're on a hike where you just have to see the top, how does it feel when you get to that point? And you get to see how far you've come and you get to see the view and you get to see the other peaks that you can then reach the top of in the future that in achieving goals, right? That it was always all about the people or it needs to be about the people, right? Otherwise, if the goal is the ceiling, then you wonder what's next. That was really insightful. He talked about taking care of yourself so that you can take care of other people and the importance of that element of our life. I love how he said that the district manager opportunity is sort of a concentrated dose of life, right? It's real. It's raw. We experience all the challenges and emotions that we go through in real life. And we learn how to work through those things. We learn how to seek answers. You're not alone as a district manager. If you're in Vector, there's so many other people who can help you through the challenges and the the, uh, experiences that you have. And making sure that we take advantage of that. And then starting out with the abundance mindset and the, the idea of what would I love? What would I love? What are the things that I most want coming from that place is the beginning of being able to experience all of the abundance that the district manager role, the vector opportunity and life can offer you. John Fiacco has experienced much of that abundance. He continues to be a great servant leader in the Cutco Vector organization to this day. And I hope you enjoyed getting to hear a little bit about his stories and his insights here in this episode. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. 
Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 